What's up, guys? It's John Nelson, and you're listening to the Starting Block Podcast. This, guys, is a show for complete athletic development. Our objective here is to give you the tools to win, whether you're the athlete, the parent, or the coach. If you're new to the show, I want to say welcome. Appreciate you joining. As I've said the last few episodes, our numbers continue to grow, so I know we got a lot of new listeners. Guys, we appreciate you joining. Thanks so much. Here is a breakdown of our show because we are kind of different than the standard podcast out there. We actually have multiple episodes within the show. The first episode you'll hear from us is going to be a biweekly episode. That's our Q&A. Q&A is where my co-host and I, Chris Scarborough. Good afternoon, sir. Good afternoon. That is where Chris and I will take the questions that you submit to us. Chris, where can they submit the questions, sir? Info at startingblockpodcast.com. That is where we will answer the questions you submit to us at info at startingblockpodcast.com. Guys, that can be really about anything related to athletic development. That can be the training, the rehab, the nutritional stuff, um, anything. We will tackle it there. The other Q or not the other Q&A. We only have one Q&A. The other <laughs> bi-weekly episode, we'll try that again, is our guest interview. That's what we got today. I'm going to bring our guest on in just a second. But guys, our guest interview is where we're going to bring our colleagues on from across the country, across the globe, and they're going to share their stories of success, share their tools for winning, what they do with their clients, their patients. And as I you know, have continued to say over the last uh, you know few months is, the guest episode is so cool because now it's turned into this just great network and great network of resources for you guys to connect with, you know, across the country. And so these are people that we trust, people that share our same core values, our same mission, and people that, uh, you know, I think that can genuinely help you guys in, in a number of different uh, areas of your life. And so that is our uh, guest interview. And then the final episode you'll hear from us is going to be that uh, Friday Fire Fact or Saturday episode. Where, like I said, we're going to be getting back to it. I know I've heard a couple comments about, hey, we got to get back to it. But quite frankly, guys, I've just been kind of chill and nobody's really pissed me off. So I haven't really had a whole lot to a whole lot of anger to get out of my system lately. But uh, it's essentially 20 minutes of me just ranting (laughs) on something. So um, guided wisdom, as uh, Dr. McMakin likes to call it. Um, And that's uh, that's our show breakdown, guys. We do have a fee. Um, We ask that you pay your dues. Guys, share the show, please. We do this for free. We don't charge for it. We don't even have the Patreon or any of that stuff. We do this out of the kindness of our heart and try to help you guys win. Um, and all we ask is that if you got value out of this, just share the show, please. Um, that's all we want. So that, uh, that about wraps it up. And uh, with no further ado, let's get to it. So today, guys, as you uh, can see in the title, we have a guest today. And we are pleased to welcome Carrie Bennett to the show. Hi, Carrie. How are you? Hey, guys. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So, yep. guys, if you are unfamiliar with Carrie, Carrie is the founder of CarrieBWellness.com. She's the quantum health educator and clinician, and she also teaches at the Institute for Applied Quantum Biology. Did I get that right? That is correct. Okay, geez, that's a lot. <laughs> um, what the heck yeah. is that even, right? Yeah, okay, so well, let's just start there. What yeah, let's the start there, exactly. Like, yeah. is it, it's not like the University of Phoenix, I don't assume. <laughs> no, right. You know, and it, it really, here's the deal, right? Um, applied quantum biology is a very new um, application to, to, you know, personal health and, and even medicine these days. And it started because a couple of researchers back in the day, about a decade and a half ago, said one was a biologist, one was a physicist. And they asked if they could get together 
and help solve each other's, you know, research questions. And like, let's let let's kind of shoot the shit. Let's talk. Let's see what's going on. And these two researchers came together and were like, oh, I can use physics to explain parts of your aspects of biology that you don't get. And the other guy was like, well, I can use biology to help tie in physics and how it applies to health. Um, and it really became this idea of, wait a second, what we thought was happening only in vacuum controlled research labs, quantum physics, actually also happens inside of the warm, wet environment that we call the human body. And we know enough now over the course of the past decade and a half to understand what's happening at the level of protons, electrons, neutrons, right? You know, go back to those 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 uh, topics from high school, maybe, and how to influence it for health and human performance. And that's what I teach. I help other clinicians, doctors, um, educators learn about this topic that I think is really vital to health and performance and help them learn how to apply it in a clinical setting. Wow, that's a lot to digest. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> we can break it down, John. <laughs> We're going to need to break yeah. it down, yeah. Um, but hey, let's, uh, before we break that down, let's backtrack a little bit. Um, you know, for, for those of our, you know, listeners in our audience that aren't familiar with, with your work, um, kind of share with them kind of how you got started in all this, kind of what your specialties are, and, you know, well, then we'll kind of go from there. You know, that's, yeah, my, I got into this stuff because um, I, I woke up one day and was like, yeah, let me study quantum biology, but pretty much out of my own health journey and then also the health journey of my clients. Um, I was a college athlete and I thought that I would have been at the best shape of my life, but having gone through the ringer with my body physically and not understanding um, some important aspects of maintaining my health and my performance, I started to deteriorate around the age of 22. My joints were just inflamed. I wasn't recovering. What sport did you play? Volleyball. Awesome. And I was the volleyball player with the kinesio tape all over, right? Because things are just, things are just really falling apart. Um, and so after, after college, in undergrad, I, I got an undergrad degree in just in biology. And, you know, I went to a, a liberal arts college. And th- when you get a biology degree from this particular college, you, you're supposed to go to med school, go to grad school, and get a PhD. Like that's considered a successful trajectory out of this program. And I had options to do both. And it just didn't feel right. And so I had a mental breakdown in front of my volleyball coach. And and I was just like, that doesn't sound good at all. I don't want to do any of the stuff that I have an option to do. She said, well, what do you feel drawn to? And I don't know where this came from, guys. But I was like, I think I'm going to go to massage therapy school and learn about the body in that way. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, my parents, who it was not cheap to help put me through college, I explained this to them. And they were like, you know, we, we trust your journey. Get a job put yourself through massage therapy school and let's kind of see where this goes. And I got the only job that I knew how to do. I was a personal trainer and a fitness instructor. And this was back in like the early two thousands. Right. So it yeah. was Tybo and you know, the boot camps. <laughs> Billy Blanks Tybo. <laughs> That's <geez>. right, <laughs> man. Like I still remember, right? Let's go. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so, um, so, um, and so that was actually really interesting because massage therapy school gave me a completely different viewpoint of how the body, functions more from an energetic perspective and balancing flow and opening up blockages and how the fascia responds to things like compression and touch and sustained uh, compression um, and shearing forces and things like that. It was a really fascinating experience. Um, And so by the time I graduated, I had my own little clinic in the downtown area where I live, a personal training and massage therapy studio. And it, it was good. I had a great time with it. But then my health deteriorated more. I got, um, I had my first son 
and and I developed digestive issues, insomnia, more pain, um, the chronic fatigue like you would never imagine. And I just wanted I wanted to know more. I was missing something. And at that time, I was like, okay, well, I'm I'm motivated to learn more. I'm going to get a master's degree in clinical nutrition. And so I went. I got a master's degree in applied clinical nutrition, learned a ton of stuff, and applied as much as I could to help my own health. And it still wasn't enough to move the needle to the point where I felt like I was good, to felt like I was thriving. And I didn't want to buy into the BS of, oh, you're a new mom. This is just how it's going to be, right? You're you're approaching 40, like all the things, right, where like right, you, you right. can accept the excuse. And that's when I was scrolling on my phone late one night. Not recommended, but <laughs> thank, good, thank goodness it happened, right? And um, I was sitting there, and I found a blog from the neurosurgeon, Dr. Jack Cruz, and he was talking about light and using my light environment as a way to support my health. And I had never heard anyone talk about that before. And so I dove into his blogs. I dove into every single researcher that he alluded to in his blogs, read all of their books, all their research articles, and started applying it to my health. And at the time that I was seeing clients as well from a clinical nutrition perspective, and their health started soaring. My health within three days was almost completely transformed. I knew I had stumbled upon something. And the term for it is quantum biology, and now we're applying it in a clinical setting. So it's applied quantum biology, and now I'm here chatting with you guys, hoping to get this message out to more and more people. Yeah, absolutely. So, so specifically, what? Go ahead, Chris. Sorry, John. I was going to say specifically. Okay, let's, Carrie, let's go with what you did for you. What did you do for you uh, in order to turn the, your health around in three days? What was in that? Three- in three days, Chris, I saw the sunrise, I took a morning walk, and I blocked artificial light after sunset. And within three days, I was able to fall asleep, I could eat food again without the bloating and the pain, and I had energy in the morning for the first time ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Since we we had Dr. Jack on the show um, a couple months ago, and, and it was great, and I've followed his work you know, for a while as well. But, uh, you know, ever since then, like I've changed, you know, my cardio up now and like I, in the mornings, my routine now is the sunrise. So I'm out there rucking every morning. I got a 45 pound plate in my backpack and I'm just rucking around, you know, and, uh, I love it. Like I, I, I can definitely tell a difference. Um, I still wear my headphones, which I know is probably not recommended either, but it makes just, a, if nothing else, even if you're not a believer in the quantum biology or what it's doing to your cells and all that, you just you just feel better, right? Like, you just feel better. You do, and there's, there's, there's a ton of science behind it, which is really cool. It's not just like a placebo effect or, oh, it's, it, it's just me subjectively saying I feel better. Stuff is physically happening to your body to change how you, your energy levels, your motivation, your concentration. And I haven't found one person, John, who have has taken advantage of morning light just like you're describing and said to me, "Yeah, now I'm just going to go back to my old ways." Like yeah. there's there's <laughs> something that just it, it motivates us. It, it feels good enough for us to motivate the way we work out in the morning or maybe even what we do first thing in the morning instead of checking emails, I'm going to go outside and sip on my coffee outside. Like mm-hmm. it really motivates people to change because it makes them feel different in a fairly short amount of time. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So, Cause like, I mean, I would, you know, I would do cardio. It's just kind of part of my routine. I mean, I'm not like a cardio freak, but I just like that 20, 30 minutes, just kind of wake up and kind of get your lymph system going. And yeah, now it's just, that has become the morning routine. It's just out there in the sun every single morning. Yeah. You feel better. What were you going to say, Chris? Oh, uh, no, you said that that's, those are the three things you started with. 
and those are the things in three days that made a difference that you could notice in three days. What were some of the more advanced things that you did? Some things that happened later on that you well, did that, that helped even more? Well, you know, my at the time, my understanding of a specific type of water inside of us called exclusion zone or easy water was in its infancy. But once I started applying strategies like infrared therapies, uh, earthing, uh, red light therapy exposure, once I started, uh, even cold thermogenesis, once I started applying those types of things in a therapeutic capacity, that just felt even better. Um, and so those are some more advanced things, but you know, it, you can go ahead and hit the low hanging fruit first. Those things aren't going to do the benefit unless you have the light signaling correct first. So let's talk a little bit about that light. And, you know, we, we talked about this with Dr. Cruz just a little bit, but I really want to hear your, your take on it. Why is this artificial light so bad for us? And why is the natural light so much better for us? Yeah, so, you know, I think a, a, a word that's becoming more common for people to hear these days, or there two, it's two words, actually, circadian rhythm. And uh, if, if anyone wanted to jump into the research, you can type in circadian rhythm thyroid, circadian rhythm adrenal, circadian rhythm Alzheimer's, circadian rhythm cancer. You can type in any aspect of human physiology, and you'll find that there is a circadian timing mechanism to it. And when that timing of the rhythm is off, they can create dysfunction in a given system of the body, if not all the systems of the body. And so the circadian rhythm is basically what, what time does the main clock in my brain perceive? And its job then is to communicate that timing mechanism to every cell in my body. And every cell has its own receiver, a clock clock genes as receivers of that time. And then that cell responds by saying, oh, I think it's this time of day. Let's make these proteins. Let's not express this gene. Let's triple express these genes. Let's make more of this enzyme. And so it's really how all of our cellular tasks get organized and coordinated. And it makes sense because the signal that sets that timing in my brain is the light entering my eye. And there's a specific wavelength that does that. It's the blue range of light, the blue wavelength range of light that does that, which varies. It, it starts off before sunrise. My, that clock in my brain isn't picking up any of those wavelengths. And it's technically not the brain that picks it up. It's the receptors of, for that wavelength in the back of my eyes. Um, and so, but that wavelength isn't there before sunrise. And then at sunrise, it starts to appear. And then it gets more and more and more and more and more intense until the sun is at the high point of the sky. And then it goes away, 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 away until after sunset, it's no longer being picked up anymore. It was the perfect wavelength to cue in on to tell time and the passage of the day to my brain. Um, before artificial light, that is. Um, and because, and so what you're saying, that the reason why now there's issues with circadian rhythm and the timing in my brain is because of the fact that every single bulb and screen these days is dominant in the blue wavelength of light and it never changes. So these LED bulbs that like picture waking up and getting a hit of, a, of just looking at your cell phone screen first thing in the morning, it's going to shock you into a massive amount of blue light exposure that basically would be the same hit that you'd be getting probably around 11 or 12 o'clock in the afternoon. 
And so it really is throwing off when my brain is perceiving timing, which then has all of those downstream ramifications that I just just barely touched on. And so that's why when we start to sync back up with those signals and the key times of day to do that really is the transitions that happen in the morning and then in the evening, those are the key times to get in to really sync up with those wavelengths um, and allow your circadian rhythm to, to kickstart and organize all of your cellular tasks. What the, you said like kind of right there in the morning and then the evening, um, are there specific, I guess you, cause you say sunrise, I mean, or sunset could actually be, you know, I mean, it actually takes a little bit of time, right? So like, if you're going to go out and try to attempt to, you know, utilize this, you know, light, what is kind of an, an ideal here? Like, should it be like, let's, let's use night for example. All right. Like, should it be right before the sun is setting? Do we need, you know, an hour in this? Like, how can we actually utilize that? Um, if you're, if you're consistent with the signaling, it's three, it's three to 20 minutes. That is really, that's all that's needed, but it's the consistency. So I tell my clients and I really have them, I would rather them front load their light exposure. So for example, I'll say, I want a three minute hit right at sunrise, give or take. I want a 20 minute hit during what I call a UVA rise when ultraviolet light starts to appear in, in their location. Um, then they can go outside and sync up however they want to, if they want to. And then at night after sunset, what I'm asking them to do then is to block the artificial light from entering, entering their eyes with screen mitigation technologies, with blue blockers, different bulbs, those sorts of things. Because that is what will help to preserve circadian signaling. When the blue light is gone, I, want, I don't want it signaling to my brain from artificial sources. And so um, I tell these clients, I would rather you do the, this three-minute hit and this 20-minute hit every single day or most days of the week than two hours once a month. It's the consistency that keeps the rhythm strong as opposed to the, uh, doing an extended amount of time just once here and there. Right. You know, I think one of the more interesting things that, that Dr. Jack went over with us that that's on the surface is not easy to see, but it was he always starts off almost all of his podcasts telling about how he got involved with with the whole circadian rhythm thing. And that was an injury to his knee joint. Right. He hurt his knee. And that's kind of what got the ball rolling for him. It's like, wait a minute, I'm. I'm over, you know, he he says he was about 360 pounds. He, he tears his knee meniscus and goes on from there. So that's still I, there's I still get people who still cannot wrap their head around how in the world does this whole light thing affect my knee joint? My I'm a pitcher. How does that affect my shoulder joint? I'm a runner. You know, how does that affect my my hip or whatever? You see my my question. Like, how does that kind of tie those things in for us? Dr. Jack did that a little bit, but <laughs> yeah. I think it's still, you know, hard for a lot of people to. Yeah, because like I'm, I'm, I require all our athletes and clients here in my at our, at EOP, our facility, like your phone has to have blue light blocking. Like it's got to be on that. We've got glasses yeah. here. But, like, I'll muscle test them. Like, I do a lot of AK work, and so yeah. I'll check them and then, you know, look at the screen. But it's like, and they're like, what the hell is happening here? I'm like, look, yeah. it's just, it's bad for you. <laughs> right, yeah. Why? And we'll do the same thing. <laughs> we'll do the exact same thing. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a couple of key things that we can touch on with that. Number one, to have, I, I don't think anyone would argue that to have healthy connective tissue, healthy muscles, hydration matters, Right having the appropriate water concentration in a given tissue matters for flexibility, um, for, for uh, compression, for sustaining stress. 
And so one of the things that happens when we're continuously in a really artificial blue light dominant environment without the full spectrum of sun, which will help, which mitigates these effects, when we're in just in front of bulbs and screens, we actually impair one of the steps of the mitochondrial electron transport chain that makes water. And every cell of our body, except red blood cells, have mitochondria. And the muscles are a very, very dense source. Brain is the most, then the heart, but the muscles are a very dense source of mitochondria because of how potentially how much fluid needs to be maintained in those tissues in order to support healthy function. And so what literally happens is the blue light acts as an inhibitory signal. It stops the production at step four of the mitochondrial electron transport chain so no water is made. So that is inherently dehydrating just simply being under artificial light or look, staring at screens. And then you add in the, the factor of non-native EMF exposure, which is all of this wireless radiation that we're surrounded by these days, the Wi-Fi router, the Apple Watch, the AirPods, the cell phone on our bodies, the tablet, the laptop, all, all of these things are also very dehydrating to the tissues. And I don't know if Dr. Cruz gave his microwave analogy, but I really love his microwave analogy with that, which is what happens to a piece of steak if you were to cook it in the microwave, right? The microwave is full of the same type of radiation that is coming from a cell phone or AirPods or a Bluetooth device. And the way that a microwave heats up that steak is it puts that radiation, that wireless radiation, into the water molecules of the steak and vibrates them very violently. And as things vibrate, they generate heat. And so those water molecules generate a massive amount of heat to heat up the steak. But if you've ever eaten steak after it's been cooked in a microwave, it's dehydrated as shit. It's a nasty steak, right? It's not a steak that's maintained its moisture content. And so then what you have to recognize is to a larger scale, that's what's happening in our environment to all of our bodies these days. Because the, every single wave of radiation, or every, every single emission of these uh, radi the radiation that comes from cell phones and cell towers and, and the things that I talked about, they never leave Earth's atmosphere. They get trapped between the surface of the Earth and a layer uh, in the atmosphere called the ionosphere. So essentially, we're now in a very much higher non-native EMF radiation exposure than we ever were. It's like we're in a mini microwave, a low intensity microwave, and it's chronically dehydrating our bodies as well. So we're in really a big state of chronic dehydration. And you can imagine the impact that has on um, not only mus muscular performance, because what do they say? For, for every X amount of water is lost due to dehydration, that changes the muscle's ability to fire and to contract and the strength. But then you're also looking at the connective tissue which I think is a whole nother really important aspect about performance and recovery as well. And I mean, it's it's not to say that that we're screwed because I think that there's things that we can do to support this and to stay hydrated and to help our mitochondria make the water again. But that's really what's happening from a broader perspective as to why our modern indoor living could be detrimental to things like joint health. So it's not just simply drinking more water is not going to solve this problem by itself. This is something, no. this is your internal water yeah, man, I, that's, manufacturing. Yeah, well, that's, yeah, that's another misconception too. The misconception is, is that my hydration is only dependent on the water that I drink. And the water that I drink mainly helps to maintain my blood volume, 
the fluid in between the cells, that interstitial fluid, and then the fluid that's a part of my brain and my cerebrospinal fluid. So that's why one of the, a symptom of dehydration is a headache, right? There's, there's that brain component as well. But really what maintains the intracellular water uh, is the water that my mitochondria make. And if they're impaired, it's hard to catch up just by drinking water alone. Wow, you, you got me. You kind of got my head spinning. This is awesome. Like, it's just thinking about it, it all makes so much sense now. And, um, you know, so you're telling people to drink water, but carefully, you know, because the New York Times wrote an article in the last couple of weeks that drinking water is bad for people. Um, but think, uh, didn't they also come out and say, didn't they also come out with the article that was how not to get any sunlight ever? And it was people with like sunglasses and a full <laughs> yeah, probably. mask. Yeah. yeah, sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> um, Okay, so um, that totally answers the question about, you know, like muscle testing, I guess, essentially what's going on. Because Chris and I have talked about this before, like the, the increase in injuries and just some of just the bizarre things that we are seeing right now, especially, I mean, all across the board. But, you know, if we just focus on the youth segment at the moment, like high schoolers, I mean, it's, it's absurd. Um, like I have, uh, I have a kid who actually has uh, like a tendinosis. It's like... How the hell does this happen? You know, um, and so I guess that's a whole. You just opened a whole new world. Okay, so we need to, you know, we need to increase the water. Um, we know, you know, water is not just dependent on the fluid. There's also, you know, elements of food. What, what else can we do? What about like? flushing out too many minerals or electrolytes like how do we kind of offset this type of stuff yeah there's different types of water that we can drink well number one tap water is pretty toxic in in most states and, and so i would say or most municipalities so i would say step one you have Wait, are to you drink- telling me fluoride is not good for you <laughs> Contrary to popular belief. (laughs) Um, So what what, what I'm saying is we have to oftentimes use a filtered water source. None of us, I would say the vast majority of us, no longer have access to the type of water that we were really seeking out in nature 300 years ago, which would be from a natural spring, right? Natural spring water. Um, You know, a glacial runoff or something lovely like that, right? That we don't have access to that type of water anymore. And so instead, we have to ask ourselves, okay, well, what is the way that we can actually get the best source of drinking water in order to at least keep hydrated in that capacity? And I find that a lot of people recognize that tap water has toxins, and so they go to reverse osmosis water, which will filter out all the toxins. But it also filters out a lot of the beneficial minerals that I think we would be getting if we were to be drinking like spring water. And so I'm not talking about, a t- we don't need a ton of minerals, but when someone, when I have a client who drinks a lot of distilled water or reverse osmosis, they get the, the sensation of, gosh, Carrie, I got to pee all the time. I got to pee all the time. I just, my, my bladder. And so if someone has to pee all the time, it tells me that they don't have enough minerals in their water. They're not absorbing it. They're not, not holding on to it. We have the ability to maybe consume. Now, athletes are a little different because of sweat output and activity, but we're looking at about half a liter to a liter of water an hour. Um, you know, the average person, maybe just half a liter, a little less an hour. The, the kidneys can process half a liter. And so if we're peeing out a heck of a lot all the time, like that's a sign that we're 
like over consuming un unmineralized water. And then the other aspect of it, I've got clients who will, we, we can therapeutically use things like seawater, right? There's actually some purified seawater or like a soleil water, which is a, a traditional thing that's been used around the world, which is basically dissolved salt in a water. It's called a saturated solution. And you add a teaspoon to a glass of water. It's a, a really a higher mineral concentration, but um, that actually can help it get absorbed into the body, you know? But if someone overdoes the Soleil mineral content, guess what's going to happen? They're going to get diarrhea. So the body has really effective mechanisms of telling you whether or not you're holding on to your water and your minerals. Are you peeing just enough? Is your urine pretty light yellow, but not always clear and you're flushing it every 20 minutes? And or are you giving yourself diarrhea? If you can fall into my urine looks good, um, I'm consuming about half a liter uh, or, or slightly more per hour, and it doesn't feel like I'm peeing it all out all the time. I would say that you're doing a good job remineralizing your water and drinking water that is um, hydrating for you. Gotcha. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So, go ahead. No, I was gonna. I, I wanted to get into the uh, more of the hormonal aspects because let's face it, John and I did a podcast. John, I don't know, probably two or three months ago, we kind of covered, you know, how to raise testosterone naturally and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. It was it was really kind of a lot of it was it was really kind of, you know, was kind of funny. I mean, we weren't even trying to be real. I mean, we we're kind of going over all the kind of the fake supplements and things out there that claim to raise testosterone levels and whatever. But one of your big things is truly for like like fertility and that sort of thing naturally raising that 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 naturally. Can some of the Which same is a principles? huge issue in our society right now. Absolutely. But but among our athletes, let's say that, that they're interested. I, I want to be able to work out harder. I want to be able to, to have better performance and that sort of thing. Surely some of those same principles are, can apply to the athletes as well as when it comes to performance. A, a thousand percent, Chris. It's a great point. And here's, here's the thing with, that people don't realize about light and how it connects to hormone health. Um, number one, that whole hormone pathway that you're talking about, it's called either steroid hormones or sex hormones. And the, that pathway actually gets kick-started off in the mitochondria. The mitochondria make the top of that pathway called pregnenolone. And my, mitochondria start making pregnenolone after they anticipate the day has started at sunrise. So that blue light at sunrise communicates to that clock in my brain, the suprachiasmatic nucleus. That's in my hypothalamus. That hypothalamic pathway then kicks off the hypothalamic pituitary mitochondrial, it's adrenal axis, right, to start to make all those steroid hormones. It talks to the ovaries, talks to the gonads, talks to the thyroid. All of it is orchestrated, but it gets kicked off with morning light. So A, if you're, not, if you're never going outside during that sunrise window of time, you're never naturally stimulating pregnenolone. And that pregnenolone then is going to become testosterone. That pregnenolone is going to become other androgens. It's going to become a balanced blend of estrogen, progesterone, all of the steroid hormones to optimize both performance and fertility. And so, um, and so missing out on that all the time is detrimental to hormone health and hormone balance. It's why if you, if you were to pull up a clock on circadian rhythm, oftentimes it'll show testosterone is at its highest in the morning. And that's because of that, right? It's because of the fact that you get that surge of pregnenolone in the morning that helps to support healthy testosterone levels. And then the other thing that people are doing very detrimentally is they're not blocking the artificial light at night. 
I, what technically happens throughout the day is as my cortisol naturally is supposed to surge in the morning because cortisol is a steroid hormone, as my testosterone and my other fertility hormones get optimized with that morning light exposure, they will gradually kind of titrate down during the day. Now, there's some things that can elevate it, like, you know, a hard strength training session. But beyond that, they naturally go down and that's okay. But what then happens at sunset when our steroid hormones are supposed to be balanced but in a good way lower, artificial light at night stimulates a new morning. And so we get another surge of the, the hormones again, we get, but the, this time we get a really big surge of cortisol and a really big surge of things like the estrogen, the progesterone. We get That's where we get things like low testosterone, excessive cortisol, estrogen dominance, um, that's where you start to see really some major hormone dysregulation happening, and it's because we're exposing our eyes and our brain, mainly the hypothalamus, to the wrong light signals at night. It's very dysregulating in that sense because it drives up a more um, imbalanced inflammatory hormone profile. Um, my next question is, I mean, I want to dig deeper into all this, but I want to hit some of the macro points, I think, for, you know, athletes listen to this and also coaches. We have a lot of coaches, you know, that are, are trying to learn from everybody as well. So my next question digs into the adrenal fatigue side of stuff, right? Um, you know, I think one of the things that at least I've noticed in my 16 years in doing this is just the excessive amount of fatigue that everybody in general comes in with these days whether you're coming in for like a rehab appointment or an athlete coming in and now in our society when everything's ramped up to the nth degree and kids aren't getting out of practices until 5:36 every night they're exhausted how can we you know work on improving somebody's adrenals do you know that really plays a, a couple of things play a role in there that adrenal fatigue was ultimately my quote-unquote diagnosis back in the day that really light was transformative on but number one, we ha people have to protect their, the, their body's ability to sense nighttime. So even though you get done at six and then you have to still eat dinner and do homework, you still have to do something like wear the blue blockers around nightfall or probably about two hours. She just hours. put some pretty sick shades on, guys, for yeah. listening on audio. Yeah. Pretty sweet. Yeah, pretty sweet. I know. My, kid, my, kid, my kids think I'm really cool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Um, so, yeah, but you have to protect it because what happens is we are not making melatonin when we stare at blue lit screens or a TV or even our under LED bulbs at night. We start to suppress melatonin production and that delays our melatonin surge later and later and later into the night. So not only are we more likely to get a second wind and want to fall asleep now at 12, 11, 12, 1 o'clock in the morning, but also it means that when I get cortisol, salivary cortisol tested in some of my clients who are experiencing this, their salivary melatonin is highest at around nine o'clock in the morning because it naturally wants to surge and stay elevated for a certain chunk of time because there's, there's a lot of healing programs that melatonin stimulates at night. So you can imagine how this creates a vicious cycle. Now we've got a kid who can't, go, can't really go to bed early enough. They, they're not running repair programs when they are asleep because they're not timing melato their melatonin surge with things like human growth hormone release. And then they're exhausted in the morning. So they kind of stumble out of bed. They make their way to school maybe. They never think about natural light exposures. And it's just a rinse and repeat. And so it's hard when someone goes to, is more, in more of a traditional school setting, but they have to take advantage of getting morning light into, the, into naked eyes 
whenever possible. And by naked eyes, no sunglasses, please. And if you don't wear, con- if you cannot wear contacts and put your glasses on top of your head and just soak in some of that morning light, that's going to be of benefit. It's a really be- good way to start shifting, blocking the artificial stuff at night and more of the morning stuff during the morning will start to shift the balance of fatigue and allow for the sleep and allow for the energy. And the morning is the is UV, correct? Just to make sure... Our- morning the morning it's the blue light that kick starts the the adrenal pathway to make cortisol in the morning we need that cortisol surge in the morning we want that but also what the uv does in the morning is it starts to um really tank the melatonin which we want as well Mm -hmm. one of the one of the byproducts of melatonin breakdown is called tryptophan and its role, it's it's designed to kind of, that, that, that tryptophan is an amino acid that's kind of, it actually pools in the backs of our eyes or in our eyes. Um, and it's it's actually, once when it's exposed to ultraviolet light, specifically in the morning, that light is the energetic, it's the activation energy to transform it into its next metabolite, which is serotonin. And so basically we're meant to kind of be groggy with tryptophan in the morning a little bit as soon as the light gets intense enough we convert that tryptophan to serotonin so we feel flipping amazing we're motivated and engaged and we're enjoying our day and then as the as the sun goes down at night we're meant to convert that serotonin into melatonin to get to sleep at around 10 p.m give or take in conjunction with the surge of human growth hormone repair all of our tissues and start back over again so you made the comment without glasses or contacts, and um, I'm, I'm curious because one of our good friends, he's actually been on the show too, Dr. Brandon. He's a he's a, a sports optometrist in our area, um, and very you know digs very deep into all this stuff. And he's actually he's given me contacts. I guess there's only one brand out there now that I guess it allows the UV light in. I think that's correct. I think it's the dailies. That's the only brand that it I is. Do. It's yeah. it's dailies. Yeah. yeah. And so I was just going to get your opinion on that, like. Um, you know, even though you're wearing something like that, is it still um, is it still inhibiting me from anything, like gaining any benefit out of the morning sun? Oh, you're still getting a benefit, right? Now, here's the deal. Anytime light penetrates through a surface that's not the air, it's going to change it. For example, glass will actually do something called polarize the light. It just, it just changes the light ever so slightly. But I clinically don't see that as being an issue compared to people who are chronically wearing sunglasses and completely blocking not only the UV light from entering, but also the brightness to kind of stimulate the fact that it's daytime and we need to be alert and energetic. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, going for a ruck without my contacts in, I probably wind up in a ditch. Um, <laughs> Sa- safety first, John. Safety first. <laughs> Um, yeah. what about, what about light and the impact on autoimmune? Um, that's a, that's a big one that I feel is, is growing. Like we're seeing more and more and more autoimmune issues and, you know, not getting political on anything, but there's probably reasons for that. Insight into autoimmune and light. Yeah. Um, that actually, it, it interacts with the water inside of our bodies, but here's the deal, right? Autoimmune diseases are on the rise. And the immune system is not stupid. The immune system is responding to what it thinks is a threat or something that needs to be addressed in a given tissue. So Hashimoto's, for example, right? We hear that it's the proteins that look the same. Um, and so that's why there's this, auto, there's this attack on self-tissue. But what I see with almost every autoimmune condition that I help clients understand better is some form of toxicity bogging down the tissue. There's a toxin or um, 
I'll just put it that way. There's a toxin of some sort. <laughs> toxin, yes. I right. <laughs> that, we get it. <laughs> that's drawing. That's drawing uh, the attention of the immune system, and the immune system's job is to help clear out damage. And so this toxin generates damage. The, the, the tissue can signal damage in the form of things like exosomes or uh, secreting inflammatory signals or becoming senescent, kind of like this in this zombie-like state. And the immune system's job is to see that and clear it. Um, if we can't purge the toxins, if we can't physically get the toxins out of the tissues, the process is just going to continue until there's tissue destruction. Now, one of the things that we have as a safeguard built into our bodies is the fact that the water that's, that's, that touches all of our biological surfaces is called exclusion zone water. Really popularized and researched deeply by Dr. Gerald Pollack, among other researchers, but it's recognized as not being the same phase of water as this liquid bulk water. So I don't know about you guys, but I, don't, I remember studying in undergrad and graduate school and seeing a cell cut in half. And sure, you see that there's water in it. But my, and my assumption was, oh, it's just water, right? It's just fluid-like water. And that's not true. The water actually inside of our cells rearranges its bonding so that it starts to push stuff out of the cell that it doesn't want. And that's one of the ways that the body excludes toxins from an intracellular space. And those toxins get pushed into the interstitial fluid, which is a liquid, and then swept up by things like our lymphatic system to get cleared. And so a lack of exclusion zone water inside of the cell really is detrimental to toxin buildup. And there's things that can impair that. Anything that impairs mitochondrial water production can drive that. So there's blue light right there. Non-native EMFs do the same um, beyond just dehydrating the cell. And then you also have intracellular toxins. You have some antibiotics. You've got chemicals. Basically all the shit, if I can say, we're exposed to these days is, is leading us towards this. It's depleting this exclusion zone water. And one of the main things that actually builds it back up is the infrared wavelength range of light, specifically mid-infrared-ish, around 3,000 nanometers. That's been shown to reestablish the exclusion zone water after it's been depleted by fourfold. So the research is really cool because you see this exclusion zone form next to a biological surface, and then you shine an infrared source on it, and over the course of a short period of time, it grows and grows and grows. And so that's synonymous with when we apply infrared to our bodies, we can absorb those wavelengths very deeply, uh, which is which is kind of the whole theory behind infrared saunas. We can absorb those wavelengths mm-hmm. very deeply, and we actually start to reestablish this exclusion zone water, which kicks the toxins out and allows our body to clear it via various elimination pathways. But why is modern why does modern living garbage for infrared? Well, all modern lighting now, it's illegal now to have infrared sources called an incandescent bulb, right? We can no longer have incandescent bulbs that had a good source of infrared in interior lighting. And modern window glass blocks it for energy efficiency. So while we've made our buildings very energy efficient, we've made our human body very energy inefficient, and we've got the, a better ability to accumulate toxins because of it. And so that brings up a great follow-up question. Sorry, Chris, because I, I actually have this written down. I was going to ask on So for like, you know, Carrie, if you can kind of see, you can look at, you know, how bright it is in here. And I'm, I'll just be real. And I know my wife is going to be over there agreeing. Like, we feel like shit at the end of the day. Like, and I know it's the light. Like, I'm 100% I know it is. We go home, we sit outside, you know, for 45 minutes, whatever. Weekend's better. How does somebody... Like, what can I do here to offset that? Yeah, I've got glasses, but my God, I've got, you know, 50 plus bulbs here. 
Like, how can we offset this? I mean, there are some bulbs you can can kind of quasi change out, but because if I replace these with encourage. red light bulbs, like I'm going to lose my entire gym. Like nobody's yeah. coming back. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And you don't need you don't need. I mean, you don't need to go to that extreme. So listen, when I, I used to own a gym that got shut down during COVID, right? That's really what prompted me to get into more of this talking about this stuff in an online space. Ooh, so we have a whole other area we can go down next. <laughs> we have a episode. whole other area we can go Let's down. Go. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's coming back all of a sudden. I know, right? And yeah. so, and so, <laughs> I, I, uh, don't get me started. And so, and, oh, I will. <laughs> we can all. I, I'm already on the terrorist list, so. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah, my, I think my husband thinks the same of me, too. Yeah. Um, so, but that being said, like, what I had to start, what I started doing was, what lights can I live without in this gym? As I started to understand lights, like, so turn off whatever light is un necessary. It's better to just not have it on and learn it be in a slightly dimmer environment because what you're experiencing there is zombie world to your circadian rhythm, right? Especially if it's fluorescent lights, that is the most chaotic signal you're you're sending to your brain and your brain's just like, where am I? What time is it? Where am I? And so if you can at least turn that off and maybe five minutes here, five minutes there, go outside, Two minutes even. I know you're a busy guy, but like even two minutes here and there, go outside. It can make a big difference for sure. And then what I was doing when I, because when I was hosting workouts before sunrise and after sunset, um, again, my my, my cool glasses, right? The orange tone (laughs) ones in particular, right? Putting on these to protect my circadian rhythm because my my clientele didn't necessarily buy into this, right? Especially at the time. Um, and, and so so it was just me looking like a weirdo, but preserving my circadian rhythm with this uh, went a long way to, to helping me feel good at the end of the day. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. All right. So well, basically, we can, we can narrow this whole thing down to saying pretty much every normal physiological human function, we can relate back to circadian rhythm, light exposure, or lack thereof. Good light exposure, poor, whichever. I mean, we can pretty much relate to everything. Everything is yeah. going to come back to it. It absolutely will. But think about this, Chris, right? Because, like, and I'm not going to get into arguments about how long humanity has been on planet Earth. But that being said, um, it's been at least for thousands of years, right? We've been experiencing, um, we've been experiencing, John, at least for thousands of years, we've been experiencing a light signaling. So we've gone through daytime and we've optimized based on the time of day. And then we've gone through darkness and daytime and darkness and daytime. And so why wouldn't we cue in on that as a main signal to drive all of our physiological processes? Right. So Agreed. what is what are kind of baseline standards, you know, with circadian rhythm? I mean, you know, you hear everything from, you know, okay, men are supposed to be up, you know, at 5 a.m. sunrise. And they're like, just in general, kind of, especially for athletes, like what time should our bodies be going to bed and waking up? It depends <clears throat> on, I mean, I don't see a huge difference between men and women, frankly, but it also depends on seasonality and our lo- geographic location. So, for example, my clients in Scandinavia are not going to necessarily feel tired until 10 or 11 o'clock at night because the sun sets so late there. Um, and then they might sleep in past sunrise because guess what? Sunrise during a certain part of the day or certain part of the year is at 3 a.m. And so I would say in general, if we're talking about the majority of people in just America, let's say, um, the human body was designed, the wake-up signal for the human body is not that initial light at dawn. It contributes, 
but that's actually when the temperature reaches its lowest point over the course of 24 hours. That temperature low is not at the beginning of the night. It's not even in the middle of the night, right? Go to weatherchannel.com and, and nine times out of 10, you see the temperature low is around, oh, six o'clock in the morning, five o'clock in the morning, depending on when sunrise is. So that temperature low helps to, to uh, wake us up, actually. It helps to keep us awake so we don't get hypothermia, if you will. And then that coincides with a sh- right at dawn, that first light. And so we're designed to sync to that when it, whatever it is and whatever time of year it is, whatever time or whatever your location is, you're designed to sync into your uh, circadian signaling then. So typically waking up about an hour before sunrise is normal. It's natural. And then going to bed about, oh, by about 10 PM, but generally about two hours after you block, you after complete darkness or you block the artificial blue light, melatonin reaches a high point in conjunction with another signal that puts us to sleep called adenosine buildup in the brain, puts us to sleep. And that's, that's a general signal. And it makes sense because right, as I said before, 10 PM get human growth hormone makes sense that we need to be in a nice deep, uh, deep wave sleep, deep stage sleep to, to get the benefit of that human growth hormone in conjunction with melatonin to go into deep tissue repair. So you have a ton of courses and stuff that you offer on your link tree. What, what is a good resource for a coach or maybe even a parent, you know, who's just wanting the best for their kid? What, where would you recommend they start with some of your educational content? Uh, go to my free content first, okay? Um, I have something in my link tree called my Circadian Starter Kit. It talks to you about light it gives so it gives you all of my FAQs. It's eleven pages of frequently asked questions about do I, do I have to physically see the sun come up over the horizon? What if it's cloudy? How can I how can, and also then it's going to give you how to use blue blockers. So blue blocking one hundred and one. It's going to give you all of the things I talked about today in in a more detailed fashion to really get you to start to implement this stuff. And then there's courses you can go into. My, my most foundational course is called Quantum Foundations, actually. It talks more about light, mitochondrial health, optimizing that easy water, that exclusion zone water inside of us. And even something that we didn't get a chance to touch on today, but like electron flow and elect our bioelectric bodies, the fact that electricity really runs the show in a lot of ways. And so if you're a coach, that might be a really good, or, or like a really, you know, parent who wants to dive in, it might be a really good resource for you once you've got the basics down. Awesome. Where, where can they find all this stuff? What, uh, you know, what's your website, what's your social handles? Sure. So if you want to get the, the circadian starter kit, carrybwellness.com slash start. That'll get you access to that. You can you can uh, get the downloads right away. Uh, carrybwellness.com. You'll be able to click on my menu and see all the different course offerings I have. Uh, I also teach a certification course for clinicians. So if people want to deep dive into this, uh, you can get a certification course in this uh, through the Institute for Applied Quantum Biology. And um, my social media is Instagram. It's my hub. It's really where I try to share as much of this as I can on a weekly basis just to kind of get people to understand the body from a unique perspective. And that is Carrie B. Wellness. Awesome. Yeah, you put out some great content. So thank yeah. you for everything that you put out. Uh, Agreed. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks, this has been awesome it. connecting with you. Thanks. Uh, thanks so much for taking the time. And, you know, this is just this is such an intriguing and interesting topic yet. 
it is one that is arguably the most difficult thing to talk with clients and patients about because it's so undervalued, you know, and it's almost like everything that you're saying almost goes <laughs> is the exact opposite of basically what it is that we're taught. Right. You know, and uh, so this is awesome stuff. Thank you so much. So, Thank thanks, you. John. Yeah, absolutely. Chris. Yeah. I, I appreciate it. Yeah. You know, I, I encourage people to keep an open mind and just try it out for themselves. Yeah. Cool. Well, guys, there is uh, no way that you didn't get value out of this show. So you guys tell us stuff is good and we should be, you know, everywhere. Make us everywhere. Share the show, guys. Follow Carrie. Appreciate y'all listening. Love you guys. We'll talk to y'all soon. See you guys.